As you come into this space today, we acknowledge the land that we stand on. Today we stand on Bonorong country of the Kulin Nations. You stand on a country that is unknown to us but is known to you. We acknowledge the elders of your country and the elders of this country, past, present, and importantly, the future generation to come. We acknowledge that today is a day for you to learn, to listen, but also to think about where you're from and where would you like to go. We welcome you to this country, to this chance to learn of knowledge. This is A Yarn With Our Elders, presented by Bendigo Bank, a podcast where we sit down, have a yarn, and get to know some of our First Nations elders. I'm your host, Simone Sexton. In each episode of this short NAIDOC Week series, we sit down with an elder for a yarn. They share with us their knowledge and deep wisdom of country, cultures and reconciliation. It's time to listen intently and respectfully as we learn from our past and head towards a brighter future for all Australians. Hi, everyone. And welcome to the third episode of A Yarn With Our Elders, presented by Benigo Bank. In today's episode, we listen in on a yarn between Emily Chapman, a Darawal woman and a Benigo Bank professional, and her grandfather, Elder, Uncle Vic Chapman, a Eulariai man, the first Aboriginal school principal in New South Wales. They will discuss the importance of the constitutional recognition and the health and well-being of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and the vital role that education plays in our cultures. Uncle Vic will also reflect on the leaps and bounds we have made towards reconciliation, while as acknowledging how far we still have to go. This is a beautiful yarn from one generation to the next and is filled with stories and deep knowledge. So let's listen in to Emily and her conversation with her grandfather. I'm here today and I have the privilege of yarning with my beautiful grandfather, Vic Chapman. Today we are yarning on the lands of the Wadiwadi people of the Darawal Nation. I acknowledge the significant cultural and spiritual connection to this land that the Indigenous people have. With the area we now know today, as Wollongong, originating from the Aboriginal word of Wulyunga, meaning five islands. And there are five islands off the coastline of the Illawarra. I pay my respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to Aboriginal Torres Strait Islanders who are here today or are listening into this podcast. Now, it's not every day you get a chance to interview or have a yarn with your grandfather as part of your work. I'm here with my beautiful grandfather, who is a young, sprightly, 91-year-old Eulariai man. His name is Victor George Chapman. Now, Vic, I would love for you to tell a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Emily Clare, and it's good to be here today to walk with you and to talk with you and to yarn with my granddaughter, Emily Clare. 
I do would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are now, the Wadi Wadi people of the Durable Nation. This land, their land, like all land throughout this great country that we now share, is land to which sovereignty has never been ceded. And I'd like to acknowledge the elders past who led our people through difficult times which get little mentioned in our history books. Elders present who seek a Makarato Commission to supervise a process of agreement making between governments and First Nations and truth telling about our history. I am, as Emily has declared to you, descendant of the Noongabara people, the Kurrajong people, speakers of Juralii. As a child, we spoke Juralii at home, but were discouraged from speaking it in public, often resulting in punishment at school if the language is spoken. I was born at Karalagai Station, about six k's out of a small town called Hebel in Queensland, six k's over the Queensland-New South Wales border, and somewhat about 80 k's directly north of Lightning Ridge. My mum and dad were unschooled, which was quite regular at the time when they uh, were born. Uh, the education was or less denied to Indigenous people. And indeed, there were regulations which had monopoly control over the lives of Aboriginal people with whom they could associate, where they could live, who they could marry, had control of their money, control of their kids, and denied access to education. And the teacher's handbook, which guided the conduct of schools, had a recommendation in it that said, a person of Indigenous descent could be barred from the public school system on the process of one non-Indigenous member of the school community. And that recommendation was in the teacher's handbook up until 1972. That's just 50 years ago, and it was acted upon up until the late 1960s. Most kids, most Aboriginal kids, and a lot of non-Indigenous kids left school at the end of primary, not knowing how to navigate the system, and perhaps not having the finance to continue further education. The males were destined for work in the pastoral industry, like working with shearing, station hands, working on cheap stations, yard building, the females only considered worthy of being domestic servants, like cleaning houses and washing and ironing for the people in the vicinity in those service towns for the pastoral industry. My older siblings had to walk six k's to and from school every day. And the reason for that, of course, was the fear of being removed from their parents. The local policeman had the title not only of constable, but also the protector of the Aborigines. And if he didn't like the cut of your jib, use an expression that I shouldn't use, you were a gone coon. So uh, mother and father made sure that we were well scrubbed, reasonably well clothed, and went to school every day, rain, hail, or shine. I was fortunate to come into the influence of a teacher called Mr McKinnon. He thought I had some academic promise, suggested I sit for a state bursary, which provided the money to go to high school. We 
did not know how to navigate the system. We did not know what a high school was. Surely it must be a school up on stilts. With the help of people who knew more than we did about education and with the help of our benefactor, Mr McKinnon, we found out what a high school was and made preparation to go there. So if you didn't get the bursary, you wouldn't have gone on to high school? No, the bursary provided the finance to go to secondary school. For the first time, I was rigged out with new clothes, new port. We used to call them ports in those days, not suitcases. And I went more than 100 k's away from where I was born. On the back of a truck, the station to the railhead at Brewarana, I was a lone ranger. First time away from siblings and my parents. About 11 years old, going just short of 12 and going to high school. So I arrived at Dubbo with a little note in my pocket with the address Miss E. Revel, uh, Lil Rose, 134 Burke Street, Dubbo. Miss Revel had a boarding house which took in high school students to attend Dubbo High School. And I left there at the end of the first year because of racism and boarded at the Church of England Boys Hostel for four years. It was there that I became involved with Christianity, which I still practice to this very day. In 1949, I matriculated from Dubbo High, and I had thought at times to go to uni to do dentistry, but was convinced that I should be involved in teaching kids to do what my mum and dad couldn't do, to read and to write and to compute. Was that thought to teach Indigenous students in particular? Well, to teach anybody, particularly Indigenous kids, but we were reminded by one of the ladies of Gadooga's autocracy who said when it was known that I was going to go to Teachers College, Of course, he will never teach white kids. He'll only teach black kids, which I was quite prepared to do any teaching at all, particularly Indigenous kids. Anyway, got a scholarship to Teachers College, was accepted, and so I was on my way to enrol in Wagawaga Teachers College. How old were you at this point? I was going on 17. So 17 years of age in the city... On your own? I started Teachers College at Wagga Wagga. During my stay in the common dining room, students were seated four to a table, four males and four females. And it was there that I met my wife, Ruth, a very, very special person. I graduated from Wagga Wagga Teachers College and started my teaching career in 1952. In 1955, Ruth and I were married at Cowra, And we came to live in the Illawarra where we served out all of our time in teaching. So, Pa, at that point when you finished Teachers College, were there any other Indigenous teachers around? Apparently, for a long time, it was said that I was the first person of Indigenous descent to graduate as a teacher, but that has been discounted. Apparently, there was somebody else before me but you're still one of the first few. One of the few, which was encouraging. In 1976, I became 
school principal in the Illawarra. I love classroom teaching. I was recognised in the 1990 awards with a PSM, Public Service Medal, for significant contribution to the New South Wales Public Service and particularly for education. In the interim, we had two boys, unfortunately, they're both deceased, uh, John, uh, the youngest, Emily's father. They were both students at the University of New South Wales. John, studying surveying, considered one of the best surveyors in town, and Murray, studying law. He worked the whole of his life with Indigenous issues. He was senior advisor to Robert Tickner, Minister for Aboriginal Affairs in the Hawke Keating Government. He was director of the Indigenous Land Corporation, and during his tenure he acquired for Indigenous people 1% of total land mass. And the focus of that venture was that land would, with the help of CDEP and TAFE, provide qualifications for local Indigenous people. And that scheme did not really get off the ground after he left the Indigenous Land Corporation. When we had the boys that required more money, I was offered a position at Winuna Public School as Deputy Master and taking up the position at Winuna Primary School, the salary was increased by some dollars at that time. I guess I liked the whole of my educational career. I liked going to work every day up until the day I retired. You haven't really retired though, Victor George? I haven't really retired. Just thinking now, it was 32 years since I retired. But during that 32 years of retirement, I've made inroads into places of learning from primary to tertiary education and was instrumental in getting the Woolyunga, the Aboriginal Education Unit at the University of Wollongong, underway. I enrolled in a TAFE course in ceramics, which I'm still engaged in. That was great therapy. And at the end of my teaching career, again, I thought, because I have a flair for art, I thought I'd continue to extend that art practice. You certainly do have a flair for art. Can you tell us a little bit about your art and the types of art that you do? I was involved with a graduate of UOW, Alistair, Alistair Cox from Gibb Pottery, just a recent graduate, and we were involved with the mosaic on the site of the old fig tree after which the suburb fig tree was named. We completed a mosaic three metres diameter which depicted the Yarama, the hairy man. The fig tree was important to local Indigenous people as a birthing tree, a birthing place, and it was also important to non-Indigenous people working in Lillawarra as a water and shade spot on them as they came to work in the early days. And the Yarrama story was apparently circulated to dissuade anybody from despoiling the place. The sacred place. Yeah, it's a, it was a sacred place, yes. So the little fellows were brought into the world, assisted by other females, and the welcome song was sung and they scrubbed up in the creek near. I became quite engrossed in ceramics and I was mentioning Tess, our adopted daughter, 
who later became the Director of Indigenous Programs at the University of New South Wales. He brought the senior lecturer, Michael, down to our unit here at Winuna, and when Michael saw some examples of my ceramic pieces, he thought that they would translate well to printmaking. So I became attached to the University of New South Wales College of Fine Arts in printmaking, etchings and lithographs. You held a prominent role there. Oh, yes, that was interesting too. I became accepted as an elder in residence at the College of Fine Arts and held that position for quite some time, becoming a fellow of the University of New South Wales as well. I still have connection with both unis and over time I've got some pretty little medals which awards and rewards are not an incitement. I would back that. You're a very humble man. We often find out about these awards via social media or newspaper articles. He's often in trouble for not letting us know, but he does have some pretty significant awards. Well, I think that awards or rewards are never motivation for doing what I really love to do and what I do happily. I am a member of the Order of Australia General Division for contribution to the visual arts, to tertiary education and to Indigenous peoples. My most significant medals were, and I still hold to that, is the Captain's Medal and I was captain of Dubbo High in 1949, which I wear with pride, perhaps the one that gets the most airing. Recently, I was advised by the New South Wales Teachers Federation to, at the next conference, Teachers Education Conference, they have decided to give me an award called the Champion of Public Education, apparently... I'm told this is the fourth time that has been awarded. But, as I said, medals are no motivation for doing things that I love to do. That just shows your passion for education and supporting people, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, and the arts. You are an incredible artist. You tell your stories through your art. Can you tell us where some of your artwork has gone? You've had some work go overseas, I believe. Yes, I have worked in galleries locally, nationally and internationally. I'm quite thrilled about that. And going back a little further in the conversation, I... I was convinced of the value of education and how our people became empowered. Somebody said that we're in our fourth phase of our history. Phase one we were spoken about and not in very enticing terms, quite derogatory terms as recorded in books like Blood on the Wattle by Elder, Bruce Elder, a local writer. We were spoken for and are reminded of all those recommendations that had almost monopoly control over the lives of Indigenous people with whom you could associate 
etc. For your kids, your education, your money. And phase three, we were spoken to because Indigenous people were important to many industries, the polling industry, the cattle industry, the sheep industry, just to name just a few. And now the fourth phase, we must speak for ourselves. I think that is a call for the voice. We seek a Makarata Commission to supervise a process of agreement-making between governments and First Nations and truth-telling about our history. Our history has never been at the top of the agenda until recent times has not been considered important in our places of learning. As we reminded in the time of the 67 referendum, white Australia has a black history in two ways, a history that goes back some 60,000 plus years and a history that is black in other ways. People just don't know the history or perhaps do not want to know the history of Australia. Can I just ask you there, Pa, do you think as a nation we've come some way from what you've experienced in your lifetime? Our acknowledgement of country, let us acknowledge the leaders to come to lead Australians all to a truly united Australia. Indeed, this was the vision of Mandawai Unapingu, the lead singer of Indigenous band Yothi Hindi, who expressed in the hit song, Freaky, this land was never given up, this land was never bought and sold. The planting of the Union Jack never changed our law at all. Now two rivers run their course, separated for so long, I'm dreaming of a brighter day when the waters will be won. There's been a lot of talk about this brighter day and when the waters will be won and just how close is the reality. If we want to be fair, Dinkum, about it, let's walk the talk. Uraliai people, of whom a descendant has a saying, we will walk together and we will learn together. On two particular occasions when we have done that, the outcomes have been of great significance. The referendum was passed. This was a a national vote when about 90% of Australians voted to change the constitution to give recognition to Indigenous people as full citizens. And the other important date was the 3rd of June. It marks the anniversary of the High Court of Australia 1992 judgment in the celebrated famous Mabo case. And the court gave recognition to native title rights of Indigenous people. And they overturned the myth that Australia was empty of people, that terra nullius, before colonisation. Also this year, the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people pursue recognition in the Australian Constitution, not the preamble to the Constitution, where it would have no legal consequence. As that reputable journalist Jeff Mullen said, a glance at the Constitution reveals the deep stain of racism and discrimination. It's one of the few constitutions in the world today with negative race powers allowing governments to make laws and policies that pointedly trample the rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. The Australian constitution is the founding political and legal document of our nation. It underpins our federal laws and our government written over 100 years ago It is shaped by the attitudes and beliefs of its time. Without input 
from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. In fact, the only mention of the nation's first people was to exclude them. In fact, they are still not mentioned in the Australian Constitution as Australia's first people. And that's what we have to decide in the upcoming voice referendum. Support is fast growing and that reflects the reality of Australia today. Many Australians now feel that it should be amended to secure better treatment for Indigenous people and stronger protection for their unique cultural language and spiritual connection to the land. Over time, it's been found that a growing percentage of Australians support some kind of constitutional reform to recognise Indigenous Australians. For me, it is the hope of the black poet, Kath Walker, Ujuru, her poem, The The Song of Hope, in which she writes, Now light shall guide us, no gold denied us, and all doors open that long will close. So we have to keep walking together and talking together, and that is important. It's time for a national conversation about our past and our future and our collective journey towards reconciliation. While constitutional change is just one part of it, it can build relationships towards a reconciled nation. But to say we haven't come a long way would be wrong. There has been many positive milestones bringing together Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. We've witnessed powerful symbolism manifest in moments such the national apology to stolen generations and walked with 300,000 people across Sydney Humber Bridge. And I challenge everyone to take some time to learn about this important shift in our thinking. Don't wait for the educational programs to come to you. It's a way of acknowledging and respecting Indigenous Australians' distinctive culture. Well said, Victor George. If I think about NAIDOC week this year, the theme is for our elders. And for me, that's close to my heart because you being the elder in in my family and being my connection to my culture, you're the backbone of the Chapmans. And also you're a big part of the Indigenous community here in Wollongong and, like you said, you're the last of your 15 siblings. You are what we draw our strength and resilience from. So for me, thank you. But what does it mean to you for being an elder, particularly on Dharawal country, to be accepted by the Wadi Wadi people as an elder in this community? Well, I was quite excited when I finally became accepted into the Indigenous community. For a long time, I wasn't accepted. I was perhaps perceived as not interested in what was going on locally at an Indigenous level. But when I left work, was accepted to the Indigenous community and that connection with the Indigenous community has been really cemented. It has grown stronger and that gives me a great deal of pleasure. And I guess for me, I understand the pleasure it brings to you having moved from Wollongong and down 
on to Ewan country, I'm on a journey of self-discovery and trying to connect with country down there. And I take great delight in the fact that my youngest Levi, who will be nine this year, is learning language at school every week. His favourite day of the week is Wednesday because he learns Diriga and he comes home and he'll teach me. So when I left to come down and do this podcast, he said to me, I midandal you, mum, which is I love you, mum, in Diriga. And that was just beautiful. So I'm getting great delight in learning culture on the South Coast. I have Levi involved in Mulera Gamara, which means wise woman, wise man. And he gets out and he dances. He does the traditional dancing and he loves it. And that connection is just amazing. So, as we say in it's walk together and learn together. Yeah. Before we wrap up, Pa, can you tell me how I can tell Levi I love him in Yularii? <laughs> My Yularii is a bit rusty. So I'll have to find that out for you. Even though I've been involved in language revival and because there's no practice, no language maintenance, I've forgotten quite a bit of Euralia. I think the revival of language is really important. So that's one thing on my self-discovery or self-journey I really want to do. So I did a bit of Googling last night and is Winenge, is that love in Eulariae? Benengue, yeah. And you would be my Dilaga? Grandfather, the father's father in Neuralii is Dilaga and the mother's father is Dada. So you, Victor George, my Dilaga, are Winenge, you. Thank you, Enrique. By you, Benginda, thank you. Thank you for chatting or yarning with me today, Victor George. It has been great, but we will need to call it a wrap. Yalu. Yalu Narali. See you later. Thank you for listening to A Yarn With Our Elders, presented by Bendigo Bank. This NADOC week, make sure to tune in to the stories, songs and gems of wisdom from every one of our elders on this short series and leave a review. If you'd like to learn more about Bendigo Bank's Reflect Reconciliation Action Plan, visit bendigobank.com.au